continuing <coughs> with our reflections on the on the Dhamma, on the way things are. Speaking out loud uh, a few times a day like this to just to offer some thoughts, some reflections on different aspects <coughs> of the teachings. And yet it's for each each one of us to to sense from our own exploration, our own attending to the moments of our experience. It's for each one of us to to find out what works for us, what doesn't seem to be so effective. One of the marvelous qualities of, of the Buddha was that we chant in the mornings Anutro Parisadama Sarati which means the unexcelled trainer of those beings capable of being trained. Or someone who is unsurpassed in sensing exactly where someone is stuck. Able to respond just, just to where we are with just the right medicine, just the right reflection to help us move through that, to help us undertake a training which can, a practice which can help us overcome, transform the obstructive. Well, we have an obvious confession. Panissa and myself are not the Anutra Purisa Dhammasarati. We're certainly not the unexcelled trainer of those beings capable of being trained. And we're still struggling with our own situation. And even knowing one's own moments of true peace is still a very different thing to be able to to be with another person just as they are. And to sense exactly where that being is. That's born out of compassion. Born out of the capacity to truly receive a moment and then respond my my wish is that all of us in this work that we're doing are cultivating that quality of truly receiving a moment so that we then can truly respond. But it is very frustrating and humbling to be in this position of offering Dhamma teachings when, when one recognizes the, the majesty of these teachings and the wondrousness of, of the depth of wisdom and beauty of response of the wise ones over the ages. And so, you know, forgive us for our fumblings, forgive us for our, our difficulties, but we, we offer what has been useful to us, hoping that out of all of this, each of us can, can take some responsibility for this parenting, parenting the orphans of our own consciousness, for this is guiding and responding to to what feels stuck, what feels obstructive, to sensing what feels healing, 
what feels supportive, learning how to recognize that and nurture that. This is the third full day of our retreat. We've been uh, working on uh, the cultivation of uh, samadhi, which, as Tanisra uh, pointed out and we've been mentioning, is, is a crucial aspect of this path, this activity which, which helps bring the conditions that make clear seeing natural to arise. Clear seeing and then being liberated from the false seeing, liberated from the confusion. Each of us has, have, uh, some of us have been finding it easier, some of us have been finding it more difficult. It's, it's all perfect, whatever's happening for each of us. We just have to, to learn to trust, trust that, the, that, that we live in a lawful universe, that things are unfolding according to the way things are, according to the patterns of cause and effect. If we can have enough trust in this lawfulness, and that will allow us, allow us to relax a little more with what's presenting itself to us, trusting that that is what needs to be understood, needs to be seen, so that we don't spend all our time sure that it really shouldn't be this and should be something else, spend all our time avoiding really being here. So the cultivation of samadhi is a learning to be here, a learning to be more simply, singly, in a unified and easeful way here, starting with, with uh, the basic relationship to form, to body, to breath, to the fact that we see, sensitive, the fact that we hear, to the fact that we feel. I'll talk a little bit about how this 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 progress of uh, seeing can uh, or unifying the mind uh, can unfold for some people. This might be helpful um, as one is working with the breath working with the sign of presence, knowing when the breath is long or knowing when the breath is short, knowing when the body is agitated or knowing when the body is calm, learning to sustain these, these qualities of presence. Sometimes as, as we undertake that, uh, that practice, uh, as the quality of Mindfulness or heartfulness is not just moments, but as those moments begin to be linked together, rather than just drips from a faucet, they become drip, 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 little by little bit, becoming a stream. Sometimes then what happens is we begin to notice more the subtleties of the moment, the subtleties of the breath, the subtleties uh, of the moment, <clears throat> and then and then uh, these subtleties are also aspects which can be noticed, which can be received, which can be 
resonated with to help even establish the presence of mind more continuously, more deeply in a sense of witnessing how it is. You can call these these uh, subtleties, you can call them nimittas, is, is, is one of the technical words in the scriptures. Nimitta just means a sign, something that the mind can hold, something that it can feel, something that it can work with. Depending on each of us on our different comic tendencies. Some people have these happen a lot. Some people don't have them happen so much. It's just uh, different people are different. Not that one has to have them. But it's important to, to mention uh, a little bit about them just so one doesn't get uh, surprised or worried or confused by these things. As one is, is drawing the attention more inward, and noticing the kind of energy that's involved in, in seeking out and chasing different external sense objects, sights and sounds, feelings outwardly. So one starts to notice that pull and notice the when there is a, a letting be, a relinquishing, and, a, and a allowing the attention to rejoice and savor the simplicity of what's here inwardly. One starts to get a, a, a feeling for the ease of that, a feeling for the relief of that. And as the, the heart begins to steady itself, <clears throat> and sometimes what can be noticed are these, uh, these subtle signs. All of the senses have uh, a subtle sense. For example, the, the, there's the more gross sense of feeling. When one contacts something that's cold or hard or something that's hot and rough, something that's smooth and gentle, more external sense. At first, the sense of the breath can be very much involved in just noticing, expanding and contracting, breathing in and breathing out. As one uh, watches the breath a little more, sometimes one can be aware of something more subtle happening, a pulsing. Perhaps a tingling, a pressure. Which is not really something outside doing anything quite so much. It's, it's a different feeling tone, a more a subtle feeling tone. Whereas the, the external breath is going in, it's coming out. It's going in, it's coming out. Expanding, contracting. Now, in one sense, uh, what we can we can be with that, we can be present with that. But there's all kinds of gaps in that. There's all sorts of spaces while the next thing is going to happen. But actually, throughout that process, there's a vibration, there's a tingling, there's a pulsing, and that's a, a more refined aspect of the breath energy, which can be noticed which can be steady. Even if the breath, we might still notice in the periphery of our vision. In other words, rather than concentrate, which sounds scrunched up, if we think of concentric circles, whereas there's a center and then concentric circles around that, we might still notice in the periphery the expanding and the contracting, the growth in and growth out aspect of the breath. 
but more in the center of we're noticing a subtle sound, we might just notice the pulse that's happening, which is also part of breath energy. Pulse from the heart, maybe. Or the vibration or the tingling from that aspect of the breath energy which is vitalizing all the cells in the body. Now, as one contacts that, that's a steadier sign. The mind can actually stay with that, and whether the breath is in or out or waiting for the next breath, the mind can steady itself on that nimitta of subtle feeling. And similarly, as one holds that feeling, breathes into that feeling, one can learn to allow that feeling to be suffused. Vitaka, as we've seen, guiding the mind to notice that feeling. Vichara, they come right with each other feeling the feeling, whether it's a tingle, a pulse, or whatever. Then pity, allowing the heart to make room for the feeling, so that we're adopting a posture of enjoying, enjoying, allow the possibility of having joy from, tasting that feeling, sukha, ease with that feeling, then suffusing, ekagata, the idea of the of the unity of the feeling, allowing the, the, the whole body to be to be suffused with the relaxation, with the ease. And within the subtle nimitta of body, there can be a sense of becoming like a rock, there can be a sense of getting big, there can be a sense of expanding, there can be a sense of being small, there can be a sense of a magnetic field going through us, all different kinds of feelings. Not so much that we judge them, but trusting that it's part of breath energy, finding its balance. If one can be patient and keep relaxing with that, then by staying with that more continuous aspect of breath energy, one can become still, more still, more filled. Then as we get very steady with that sign, then the vitaka, something telling us to be there, something telling us to receive, naturally on its own, might naturally start to become more fine, might drop away more, as we just notice more the being with, the fullness of that, the brightness of that. As I said, all the senses have have a different subtle aspect. The sense of sight has the the subtle aspect of, of inner light. Sometimes that can naturally appear. Might start off as a haze or a color. That's also an aspect of breath energy an aspect of the vibratory, changing element of nature. One can also choose to explore what happens if that happens, if a haze appears, a color appears, what happens if one includes that within the concentric circles of our awareness, includes a sense of being with that color. And noticing again, just as one stays with that light, stays with that color, that that deepens our capacity to sustain presence, because we're not waiting for an in or an out. Sustaining that. Noticing that if one relaxes with that, sometimes that color can brighten. If we keep the body around, it's good to keep the body around so that that sense of color is, is mingled, or the sense of light is mingled with the body. So that again, there's a feeling of suffusing the blessings of the energy as it wells up, so it brings a sense of ease and fullness. 
If one is working with uh, the nimitta of light, I encourage one to keep it as simple as possible, rather than one can watch TV for hours, seeing kind of this figure, that figure, this thing, that thing, and it can get very complicated. And we could go on. It takes a lot of skill to, to learn to interpret the different things that one sees. But as just a sign that can help one establish the attention very still, then it's useful to, rather than get involved in a lot of different figures or activity, keep returning to the aspect of the sign that is just color or just light. Some people, that will be happening. For some of you, there'll be a, a pulsing blob that will turn into a, like a sun or a star. This is natural. This happens. It's something one can work with, develop skill with. One feels like one's had a, have a, have had enough of that. Then, then take a deep breath, and and always ground things. Learn to be with things. Also learn to relinquish things. Ground things in a deep breath back into the body, so that one isn't a slave. You see, all this is exploring. If you're working like this, the subtle sense of hearing has a nimitta. Rather than seeking outside, when we're learning even to listen, rather than making too much of sounds, one's allowing the sounds to highlight the witness, highlight the continued presence of mind. As one listens, some people find that they hear a subtle sound, inner sound, which is also a, an ancient uh, meditation sign, an ancient nimitta. There can be a very high-pitched sound that one can hear. Like a ringing or, or bells or flapping wings. There's also lower resonance, more like a jet plane. More like what you hear sometimes when you listen to a seashell. And again, it's not whether one hears it or doesn't hear it. This is just, each of us are different. But those who do, just notice, some people can have things that they hear that they think something's wrong with them, when really actually what's happening is they're just hearing the the subtle sign of hearing that can be a wonderful friend. Because that sign is continuous. Sometimes it's more on the right side, more on the left side. As one listens and relaxes with it, it can purify. If one can surrender to it, it can go through the cells of one's body. As one hears the sound, notice that thought drops away. The busier the mind is, one doesn't hear the inner sound. This is another way of of working with the breath. It's the subtle vibratory breath, an aspect of the subtle vibratory breath. Which this can be a friend, a friend to help bring a sense of steadiness, establishing. Remember to suffuse, rather than getting too narrow with the sound. The, the hearing sound brings the, the high pitched one brings the energy up here. Continually, from time to time, check 
check the body, allow that sound as one relaxes the body. One can still even breathe the regular breath into that sound so that that sound maybe is the center of the circle and in the periphery of the concentric circles there's still the body listening. <clears throat> there's inner taste which is, is more uncommon. But we'll just uh, talk about uh, for a moment these uh, inner feeling in a sight, in a sound. Inner taste and inner smell are more, more unusual. So for some of us today, it will be a day of, of deepening, deepening stillness deepening presence, exploring. But for some of us, as Tanisha uh, opened up last night, <clears throat> well, thank gosh, I've signed up for the wrong retreat. Inner bells and inner lights, inner smells. I've got a sign, inner rage and inner despair, which is a blessing which is overflowing into outer despair. And it's, and it's, it's hard. I wish one's mouth could say everything at the same time. And supposedly the Buddha could do that. He could give a talk and a hundred people could all hear a different talk. That would be neat. A hundred people could hear the talk they needed to hear. And so the problem with, the problem with uh, speaking about the subtle signs first is in all the people who, who, are, who are into the different things. The problem with also talking about what obstructs us first and the people who are into the really calm stuff thinking, what's he going on about? Don't bring me down. But both, both sides are important. Just remember the experience that we're experiencing is changing and shifting. And even if we are getting very calm and refined, we'll notice that oftentimes something stops us from truly being at ease. Something jars us. Or even if we, if we, if we don't have even any sense at all of being at ease, we can ask the question which Tanisra posed last night, what, but... Why? Why aren't I at ease in this moment? Where is this unification with the moment? What's blocking it? What's obstructing it? And that's where the the reflective side of things comes. And even in the samatha practice, even in the calming practice, sometimes people think calm is a practice and then vipassana is a practice, that that, that they're way apart from each other. But actually, for calm to go deeper, it has to have a reflective side to it that informs how to go deeper. For vipassana, for insight really to happen, there has to be some quality of composure, of gatheredness, of samadhi, some quality of presence to be able to be enough with what it is we want to understand. The two go together. The vitaka vichara, the vitaka is more the 
samatha aspect, the bringing the mind somewhere, but the vichara is more the wisdom aspect, the feminine aspect that receives, connects with, gets to know the features of. So the two work together. And so if we're not uh, particularly calm, don't worry about it. Our teacher said, when someone asked him, how much samadhi do you need, Ajahn Chah? Because uh, one of the common illnesses is in the monastery is one wants to get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper peaceful. One doesn't want to do the water hauling. One doesn't want to go to the recitation of the rules. One doesn't want to go to the evening chanting. And evening chanting is too many mosquitoes and I can get calmer inside my mosquito net. <laughs> Don't criticize me. Calm is in the scriptures all over the place. I'm getting deeper. And then someone hoping Ajahn Chah would back them up and say, Ajahn Chah, how much calm do we really need? And he said, you need enough samadhi to be able to read a book. If you have enough samadhi even to read a page, then that's enough samadhi also to begin to look into things. He's not being put, some people then use that as an excuse. Ajahn Chah said, you just need to read a book. I don't need to do any of these (laughs) calm practices. But even if one is, 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 is beset with everything but calm, then one can ask this question, what is obstructing? And, and that's where this, this reflection that Tanissa opened up last night is, is so important, to start to reflect on what these hindrances are. Again, we have to be careful with words, because sometimes the word hindrances, you know, we think, oh God, I've been hindered, I've been cursed. Look at them, they don't have any, and I've got them all for the room. <laughs> But these hindrances are really hindrances when they're not seen, when they're not recognized. When they're really seen and recognized, they become teachers. This is an important principle. When they start to be worked with, they become sources of wisdom. When they start to be recognized, then, then, then they become opportunities to develop compassion. Because the world over, people are beset by desire, which hinders us from truly being here. This is a certain kind of desire, a deluded desire, a fevered desire, a desire that's always rushing somewhere else, convinced by the thought that it's not here. A desire that never looks at itself, a desire that the sense of who we are is so stuck to that it's just so preoccupied with what it is we need. Whether it's chocolate cake or to be with the person on the back row, or whether it's to be on the beach today in a warm climate. It's something, and it's, and it's mirror image, this, 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 this aversion, this conviction that, that, that this shouldn't be here in the scheme of things, this shouldn't be here. Whether it's a croaking frog or a creaking floor, or a pain, or a thought, or a presence, or even our whole life shouldn't be here. And that, that kind of conviction that, that peace comes from obliteration, comes from getting rid of, or peace comes from locking on to, getting.
Those are the primary energies, seeking, avoiding, out of aversion. The third one the Buddha talked about is, is heaviness, lethargy, dullness, the fog, the pea soup. Its opposite is, is anxiety, restlessness, the mind not settling anyway, worry, agitation, dullness, agitation. And the, the last one is, is, is uncertainty, paralytic uncertainty, not the inquiring sort of exploring. That's a different sort of doubt. That's a skillful doubt to just look into, to inquire. The one that's a hindrance is, is just a, a perennial, timeless undermining of, well, I don't know really if I should be doing this. And maybe it would be better to be outside. I don't know. What was it that he said about and the mind just goes through all different sorts of things, focusing here, focusing here, not really kind of sure. Something that, that keeps us at a distance. Now, I've just touched on these briefly, but can we get a sense of being hindered from being here, if being fully here if the mind is, is convinced it should, it should have something else? Or being fully and at ease here if the mind is wanting to get rid of something? Or being fully at ease here is just the smoke screen is coming down. Or being able to be here if, if we're so agitated. Or being able to be here if thought comes and just is continually paralyzing any wholehearted diving into the moment. That paralytic doubt kind of keeps everything at bay the kind of state that always kind of keeps it out there. A beginning is at least to realize these, uh, these energies are happening and, and even to, to have a sense of when they're not known for what they are, that, they, that they're an illness. Not that the condition in and of itself is an illness, but when, it, when we just believe in it is a good thing, just wanting, not wanting, when we won't have to have, when we don't want to have to get rid of, when we're tired, have to conk out, when there's heaviness, have to conk out, when there's agitation, have to move, when there's doubt, have to stall and, and sink in this. The Buddha described that when these, when these states aren't really recognized for what they are, it's like being sick. It's like really being ill. Or it's like being a prisoner. Or it's like being in debt. Or it's like being in danger, he described, going across a desert. And in moments when, when there isn't, Buddha said that when these, these energies are understood, are not tormenting us, that in moments when there isn't wanting something else, trying to get rid of something, etc., 
then it's like being free. It's like being safely across the desert to an oasis. It's like being out of debt. It's like being, not being a slave. Being a free person. So realizing that if we're, if we're working with the breath or working with the moments and these different things happening, rather than just turning it into a battle, taking this opportunity to, <clears throat> to widen our practice more to exploring, to investigating, to, to, to receiving. One of the most uh, principal energies that will obstruct us ever really being free in the moment, ever really having this experience of easily drinking the moment, the, the beauty of the moment, is aversion. Wanting it to be different somehow. And noticing what happens if we just, if we, rather than just believing that, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be. That's called a hindrance. For totally believing in it. What happens if one just even recognizes aversion? And rather than adding to, it shouldn't be, it's called double aversion. Adding to that. It's called aversion squared. Each of these energies is the medicine that allows it not to grow is its opposite. And then we find a jewel. That energy reveals a jewel that's within us that we didn't even know. Even a moment of welcoming the aversion. A moment of, you're my teacher, rather than, Kitty Saw said it was a hindrance. I am hindered. I am hindered. Put a big sign up. I am hindered. But welcome that. Then, then, you, then we become Kuan Yin, the one who's listening to the sounds of suffering. Listen to, hear aversion, hear the whining, hear the heat. Hear, sense. How, when that energy is not understood, it robs us of ever really being here. That's a useful thing to do for ourselves, for others. Just to, to then allow our samadhi then to really bless and get to know aversion. Desire. So often, desire points somewhere to who we want, what we need, where we want to be. The major insight, just to notice that pull, that fever. Even just to be able to say, hey, desire. Whether I am hindered again. You know, Kuan Yin, who can hear desire? Who can hear its whine, its longing? The panic that comes, if I don't have, I'm going to die. And the medicine for desire is beginning to reflect on, on that aspect which is dangerous about it that aspect which is not beautiful. No matter what it is that we're wanting, it's going to change. We're not making an ultimate judgment about things we want. There are things we need. But this is to give space when we're just glued like wallpaper to, to the desire. That's called bondage. To actually, even, even if we just spend a morning hearing, wanting something, not wanting something. The jewel of working with desire it is to learn to be dispassionate, to learn to, to, to sense the fever in having always to go somewhere else, realizing it's robbing us of ever truly enjoying being here. I knew somebody who desired, 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 desired to go on holiday. I hate work, I hate work, but I'm going to be on holiday. I hate work, I hate work, but I'm going to be on holiday. 
they got on holiday, and, and there was so much momentum and not liking where they were, they didn't know how to be on holiday. That's what happens with desire. We so much want to be somewhere, we get there, we don't know how to be. Dullness. If one's really dull, the medicine for that is realizing there's an opportunity for some sort of effort. It might be, need to be a gentle effort, an opening of the eyes. Or the effort of, rather than believing in it, just to feel, where do I feel this heaviness? How does it feel? What happens if I open my eyes? Oh, I'm dead. I'm out. Okay, okay. And sometimes when we know we're out and we know it's the wisest thing in the world to go rest, and it might be. Notice what happens when we actually stand up and are going to rest. We can be electrified. <laughs> and, then, and then the inquiring mind thinks, what was that about? Opportunities to explore. The restless mind, the restless mind, we try to do a lot of analyzing the restless mind. That's just more gasoline on the flames. When the mind is really agitated, its opposite is just reflecting some on the stillness, the space that just is patient with that, calming, soothing that. Like the waves in a bathtub, if one tries to pat them all down, go down, go down, go down we get a storm one can realize the space of just feeling it acknowledging it listening to it again being the Kuan Yin the the compassionate one who listens to the sounds feels the sounds then the hindrances truly become that which is teaching us opportunities for wisdom opportunities for developing the very opposite quality and doubt. I don't know, it makes pretty good sense, I guess, intellectually, but you know, it is really just words. And God, I mean, you know, I wouldn't mind having some of that, those subtle signs he was talking about. It seems like a bit second best to kind of be working with these. And the mind just goes on and on, thinking like that. Should I do a different practice? I go to the crown chakra, because that's where the big breakthroughs happen. Or maybe the root chakra, because the kundalini can't get up to the crown chakra. It's a bit dangerous down there, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's safer to stay with the heart. All the great masters had the heart wide open. And then we go on kind of like that, and then, you know, one's caught, and and trying to figure it out sometimes just leads to more and more not exploring. That's just called papunja, proliferation, doubt. And what happens if we just know doubt? Knowing the doubt puts us in a position of knowing. It's doubt. As Stephen Batchelor says, having the faith to doubt, having the trust to doubt, finding a place in ourselves that's not so addicted to having to have some answer, but to be able to recognize doubt, to find ourselves standing with Buddha again, that which knows doubt. Then the mind can doubt. We're learning about that which hinders, and rather 
when, when we recognize doubt for what it is, it's not a hindrance, it's a condition, it's a dhamma. It's something that's revealing its nature to us. That subtle adjustment of, of perception is very powerful from being lost in the hindrance, hindered by the hindrance, to, to, to being, being the one who's exploring, knowing, This process is very powerful. So in our meditation today, there'll be a natural movement in balance as we steady ourselves with breath, maybe work some with, with the sign of the breath or the subtle sign if it's a vibration or a sound or however we work. And then if we notice something that moves us, something that distresses us, disturbs us, we can ask the question, what is, is something hindering here? What's going on? And then allowing the attention to, to listen, to receive, to explore. And then being able to know in a moment, gosh, I'm not wanting to be somewhere else. Not trying to get rid of anything. I'm not throwing a smoke screen over anything. Not particularly agitated. Not having to know, is it, isn't it? Is the crown better? Is the heart better? Just noticing that feeling when there's a sense of being here. Can we enjoy that? Or notice the feeling when, when there's something, a current sweeping us somewhere else. Learning to respect that is something that will teach us. Because if we can understand that, we can understand that energy, and that will uh, guide us, guide us right to the center, right to the core. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.